This is Point of View, a podcast exploring today's digital landscape through a critical lens. Each episode, Gil Rosen, our Chief Marketing Officer at Amdocs, will interview leading authors, entrepreneurs, and experts to help listeners view the online world from a different vantage point and demystify some of your most burning questions. We're discussing everything from fast fashion to the psychology of the internet, underscoring it all with a forward-thinking perspective. Are you ready for the future? Let's get digital. In today's episode, Gil sits down with Ian Yeoman to discuss the future of the travel industry. Ian is a futurologist specializing in travel and tourism from Victoria University in Wellington, New Zealand. He has authored or co-authored 18 books on tourism, and he holds a PhD in operations research from Edinburgh Napier University. Ian is also a regular speaker at international industry conferences. Gil and Ian sit down to discuss how COVID-19 impacted the travel and tourism industry and what the future holds for this sector. Here's the interview. In the past, we've all been kind of used to defining tourism and work in very in very specific ways. Now I work, now I travel. And has COVID completely changed that or has brought in kind of a new line of thought where I can now think of working while traveling and not looking at the hotel as an accommodation, but as a temporary office and what we now are beginning to maybe accept as as mainstream, which is like digital nomads. There are a number of issues there in the statement you have made. But I, th- I think the first thing I want to say, I think COVID-19 has made tourism more important to people. Because over the last 12 months, even longer, there's a realization people haven't done any international travel. So at the moment, there's actually quite a bit of a foreseeable demand for tourism. So once we get out of COVID-19, it's right at the top of many people's list of what they want to do and how they want to spend their money. Because the, the, the role of tourism is about connection between people and people in land and beaches. So that, that hasn't changed. So if you ask the consumers, what is your definition of luxury? Or if you had a million dollars, what would you do at post-COVID-19, right at the top of the list is, I want to go on holiday, I want to go to the beach, and I want to, can, I want to connect with my family. So COVID-19 has actually accelerated the importance of tourism in the terms of it's about me and what I should be doing. But without doubt, COVID-19 has changed a number of behaviours. When you're right at the bottom right at the bottom in the terms of motivation. If, for example, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the, the basic desire is for safety and security. So consumers, from a perspective, have, are very aware of COVID-19. They're very aware of the risk, and they have become more conservative. So when they are traveling, you know, habits have changed. You know, we are sanitizing, we're, we're using barcodes, uh, we're scanning, that's becoming very much part of normative behaviour in the terms of track and trace. The other thing that's changed is, is what you've brought up, is the boundary between work and, and holiday. They've all sort of blurred in together. Because without doubt, 
big companies like Disney, Google, Twitter, you know, people don't work in the office anymore. People have got used to working at home. And recently there was an article on the BBC website. And for example, Airbnb has said just last week, more people are wanting holidays in Cornwall or the rural southwest of England than they're wanting holidays in, in London. And that says something. There's a perception of safety and security in a rural location where there's lots of isolation rather than staying in a hub or a city centre. And, and what's happening, people are saying to themselves, I can combine this. I don't have to go to the office Monday to Friday. I can go somewhere and stay in an Airbnb or a self-catering apartment or something like that and do that work and everything between. So you are right in what you say in the increase of that global nomad. But that global nomad is very much within the, within their own country and seeing their own country and doing things. Just to pick up on that, on, on, the, on the Cornwall getaway, let's call it, I've had conversations about this in, 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 you know, on this podcast with, with other experts in, in different domains. And taking the, the Airbnb uh, example, the fact that in the past you used to select your room as a location and you know, the accessibility to whatever mm-hmm. it is you wanted to do, I would expect to get to that place in Cornwall and maybe find a good Wi-Fi or maybe not find a good Wi-Fi. Yeah. And, and for my, in, in my, my day job, we have coined a new segment. We call it the enterprise consumer. This is the regular person, the consumer, who is now mobile and requires enterprise-grade network services wherever he yeah. is. So when I go yeah. to that place, I expect high-speed internet. I even expect uh, maybe two Wi-Fis, one for my family while they're doing whatever they do, Netflixing and playing games, while I, during, let's call it, work hours during this vacation, I get my quality secured internet. I would say for about 90% of, of consumers are tourists, Wi-Fi and the internet and accessibility that is very much a hygiene factor. There's a counter trend to that, which is the other 10%, which actually don't want technology, want to switch off and want isolation. But for the 90% or vast majority of tourists, that becomes the norm. And it becomes what we call a hygiene factor. And if you don't have high-speed internet, you're not going to choose that destination or it becomes a, a negative factor. And you will say that, you will express that on, on consumer networks. Uh, you know, we, um, you know we, we try to look at how technology impacts different domains. And, and definitely one of the things that has kind of, let's call it driven, maybe let's call it the traffic of tourism, is the behavior of social networks. You know, I follow certain people. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily yeah. go to Lonely Planet or whatever specific destination, booking, etc., etc., to see what the recommendation is. I receive the recommendation from the people I follow by looking at where yeah. they are enjoying their stories, enjoying their picture taking, and then following maybe their tracks or maybe getting ideas for vacations based on what they did. How have you seen that play out in the past? And has that now changed? And how do you see it play out in the future? And do cities, et cetera, plan around that? If you were talking to me pre-COVID, I would would definitely say that's a very important concept. 
the importance of celebrity, the importance of Instagram, and where people see what your friends are doing or seeing what person X is doing. And I will follow that. And that seems like a good idea. I will do that. And that's been very important for countries like New Zealand. So, for example, gone are the days where destinations did huge advertising campaigns in countries like India or China. Now it's about focusing on certain types of tourists with certain characteristics, you know, social economic groups, age, wealth, value systems. One of the ways to lock into those types of tourists was to identify the influences that would shape that tourist. And many destinations would pay for product placement or product influence through that celebrity doing A, B and C because it's a way to get to the specific types of tourists that you want. I think in what has changed with COVID-19 has been a shift in value systems because prior to COVID-19, celebrity was very much about esteem, whereas to a certain extent, that has disappeared in the last um, 12 to 15 months. We're very much concerned about basics and we're very much concerned about family. So we've actually gone back to nature. We've actually gone back to well-being. We've actually gone back to friends and to the basic things in life. And one of the things that's come out of COVID-19, when you have a crisis in going back to the basics, you think about what are the important things to you. So people have started to rethink about the values of tourism. And there's nothing more simple as the outdoors and nature. So what's come across is the importance of climate change and sustainability. So the celebrity who was all about bling, who was all about Dubai and materialism, has got a lot less influence now. And what, what we're tending to do is taking a more purified, altruistic approach to, to what influences. So it's very much about the destination and place and what the destination is thinking about in the terms of what does New Zealand mean to be people? How does New Zealand, how is New Zealand portrayed to the rest of the world? And well, we can talk about celebrities, but our biggest celebrity in New Zealand is probably Jacinda Ardern, our prime minister. You know, she, she, she's been. She did a right. great job. Yeah, she's, you know she she did a very good job with in managing COVID nineteen, and then we had our first terrorist event last year, where there was a massacre at a mosque. And um, she dealt with that very well, and she came. She went to the forefront of world media, and she's been a very good draw card. And Jacinda and her value system, which Jacinda represents, what New Zealand is. So New Zealand at the moment is a very attractive proposition to many tourists who want to come here to, to visit and also to live and to play. Let, let me ask you, because uh, first of all, I, I truly connect to the, to the notion of, of fundamentals, going back to values from the top yeah. of the pyramid to the bottom of the pyramid. But then I have to ask, you know, reality hits and, and, and what you might expect or not expect is that At the end of the day, I don't know the, the, the real number. I'm just going to say hundreds of millions, if not over a billion tourists a year go places. And then you have a, a beautiful place like New Zealand being mm -hmm. rushed by hundreds of millions of people who want to visit a place. And then just the whole thing is just ruined. You know, I mean, the scarcity, can you do you imagine New Zealand maybe 
limiting numbers because if all of a sudden they start to rush to New Zealand because they connect to all these beautiful values and then all this like pristine place becomes not so pristine anymore. Yeah. New Zealand share of international tourism is 0.001%. <laughs> we're a tiny destination. And, and basically, we're a long way away. Um, you know, from Europe, it is 30 hours to get here, unless we have hypersonic aeroplanes, which may be here in 2050 or 2060. It takes a long time to get here. If you arrive, it takes you 30 hours to travel from Europe. You then you've got another 30 hours to recover with jet lag. So fundamentally, New Zealand's that faraway place, that place of dream. And those that want to come, but the reality of the numbers that come are very different because of the distance, the time, and the cost to get here. So we are very aspirational. But those three factors are actually our barriers. And then the other thing is New Zealand has lots of space. You know, we only have one city where the population is greater than a million, and that's Auckland. But we've got lots of space, so don't worry about that. We're not like Venice or, you know, the pyramids in Egypt or Rome or, or New York, where you've got masses of people that can be in that destination by three hours. New Zealand's a long-haul destination for a holiday. It's not a short-haul holiday or a short break. So let's, let's, let's move slightly into the future, you know. You write a lot about the future and, and you try to predict it. And we, before we go to the far, the 2050 future, you know, even five years from now. So let's say a pandemic has unfolded. Uh, there might be new, by the way, new folds that we're not uh, aware of yet. Yeah. But, but the world has adjusted to an unstable situation and technology has advanced. What do you think or what do you see as the biggest interesting technological developments which will impact tourism and, and, and how will tourism take shape in, in, in the coming, I would say, five to ten years? First of all, I want to deal with the matter of COVID-19 and say how COVID-19 will shape tourism probably in the next couple of years. I think the world will probably get back to normality by around 2023. I think at the moment, because we've been locked down for a year and because vaccines are coming, and they'll unfold over the next 12 to 15 months and we'll get herd immunity. And very much the travellers of the world, which are fundamentally developed economies, will then start to feel safe and they will travel. At the moment, there's a lot of pet-up demand for travel. So, for example, in the last year, nobody's gone on holiday or international holiday. We haven't bought any big ticket items. So a lot of consumers across the world have saved a lot of money. And, and that savings will probably transfer for itself into international holidays from cruise ships to long haul to short breaks to a number of things. The other thing that the tourist and the consumer is thinking about, there's very much an appreciation at the moment of sustainability. So I think if a tourism business, whether it's a hotel or a restaurant, does not have a sustainable practice, the tourist will avoid it. The, the tourist will not go there. I think it, that becomes a hygiene factor. I think with technology, the big thing that technology's done and going into the future, we're getting to the point where we've got conversion in the terms of all the technologies around and how, how we funnel them into one. And this is around the concept of the Internet of Things or, or, or big data. And fundamentally, that brings predictive analytics to the forefront. 
predictive analytics in the forefront in the terms of making recommendations and making predictions and choices for you based upon your history, which websites you go to, what information you source. So that prediction comes very much to the forefront. And that's happening now, but it just becomes a lot more focused and a lot more personalized. Some of the other concepts, I think, connected to big data um, would probably be things like what I call emotional analytics. Emotional analytics are when I'm looking at that hotel in Tel Aviv or that restaurant in New York and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing the physicality of what what it's like, cameras can now read your face and read your expression in the terms, are you happy or are you sad? And how you, it it makes a judgment call about how do you feel about that? So I think some of the, the changes there are from what I call the personal digital economy and what that will mean. Uh, for tourism, and that's very important. But technology is all about scale. And some of the other big issues and changes that I'll probably see, I'm a big fan from a technology perspective of the concept of singularity. And the singularity is you know, the work of Ray Kurzweil, where the, the processing power of the computer is greater than that of, of the human brain. The computer can make rational decisions and emotional decisions. But the concept of singularity is probably around 2060, 2070, if you look at some of the predictions. But it's everything that goes into that robot, whether it's facial recognition, gestural interfaces, kinetics, or all of those, all of those small elements that go into that concept change things. So I think robots, for example, will become a lot more advanced and whether as food services or decision makers or advisors, that will have an impact upon you because that means there's less food service, less bartenders, less chambermaids or room attendants. They're not around to do those physical jobs anymore. So we'll see technology and technology substitute on a greater scale. But probably one of the big things that technology will do will be around green technologies. You know, green architecture is fundamentally and core to the design of new hotels. So we will see incremental change and improvements in the terms of addressing to mitigate and adapt to the issues of CO2 emission and our desire to travel. Well, since Ian, you you mentioned singularity, which happens to be something I really like because it, it does spark the imagination of you know what will happen at that point and how it actually takes over if it does take over what we do from a human perspective. Um, so that's like propelling us into the future. And and I'd like not to talk about singularity, but let's call it the time of singularity or even coming near okay. to singularity. And you know, we talk about today about AR and VR, virtual reality. And I wonder from a tourist perspective, if in the future, and, and, and let's say a baby that's born today or in 10 years, which will not only be born in a, in a totally you know, digitized uh, and connected world, but also a super advanced one. And for them, traveling for the 30 hours to New Zealand is such a edgy thing to do. Or, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be New Zealand. Even 10 hours or four hours might seem just unnecessary if I sit in my living room and uh, enjoy Rome for 10 hours um, during, you know, with this gadget, let's call it, that's totally immersive, totally realistic. I'm completely or almost unaware that I'm not there. 
that could really change things for tourism, the world at large, but definitely tourism, don't you think? Oh, yes, without doubt. You know, basically, it it takes me back to the days of Captain T.J. Kirk in in Star Trek and the concept of the holodeck. Because basically, the crew of the Star Trek Enterprise could go on holiday, could go to Israel, could go to New Zealand, could go to Rome, and they would immerse themselves onto that experience. But the key question is, if the technology is better than the experience, than the physical experience, then the technology wins, without doubt. But you've got to remember, holidays are very basic, but also very complex. A holiday is about peace and quiet on the beach, getting a suntan. A holiday is about the ability to play with your children. A holiday is about building sandcastles on the beach. A holiday is a conversation over a glass of wine and having dinner. Um, A holiday is climbing to the top of a mountain. So technology would have to get to a point where it's a lot better than all of those things together. And that's the downside of the journey to singularity. Will we get there? Will we be able to get that complete picture? Or will the technology just give us part of the picture to do to do that well you know is there anything in the you know let's let's take the five to ten year period because i think you know we can grasp our head around that yeah. and, and that's that's you know it's, it's kind of already probably unfolding if you look five years ago and then five to ten years ahead other than what you mentioned like the sustainability and and maybe the countryside becoming more popular Do you see any really interesting things that maybe cities or specific locations, hotels need to really rethink, not just evolve, but rethink when they now prepare themselves for this near-term future? I think um, technology brings a lot to the experience economy. And I think with what tourism providers can now do is focus on what is the type of tourist I want? Where does that tourist come from? They will know their value system. So insights or research, understanding who the tourist is, is one of the big fundamentally shifts in what we provide and what we do. So that becomes very, very important. I think the tourism industry, to a certain extent, is going to have a problem with supply going forward because there's, there's just less people, because there's less people serving from a demography perspective. So, you know, we can talk about automation and robotic substitute and, or product, and productivity, but I think the consumer is going to be a lot more selective. That consumer is going to be a lot more demanding. So service, food and quality all have to be See, all have to be seamless to a certain extent. So they've got to be right. So basically only do tourism or only be involved in tourism if you can provide a quality experience, whether it's something very standardized like McDonald's where repetition is all about quality or something very unique and high quality and top end, which is, you, you know, the, the four and five star hotels. So that's some of the differences and some of the changes that we're probably going to see. The first half of what you talked about seems to me, you know, and I 
I do a lot of marketing and, and it's kind of the fundamentals of marketing, right? It's, it's know thy target yeah. audience, it's, it's segmentation, it's understanding the, the needs and the wants of, of who you're serving and basically targeting them for, for whatever it is. So that seems to me like uh, maybe it, it hasn't been so important as in the past because maybe it's a lot more competitive. But now what you mentioned about the the professionalism of serving, is that also because now we kind of have a global perspective of things? We've seen how, you know, even if you haven't visited and I haven't visited any gourmet restaurants lately, I mean, I go to restaurants, but not necessarily like, you know, Michelin star, but I know what that service looks like. So because I'm on, you know, the, the social media and the digital space, is, is that what's causing this like amazing expectation from everything? Or is it just because we are more... <laughs> You've got to remember, tourism is the world's global industry. Every country in the world has some sort of tourism proposition, whether it's the North Pole, the South Pole, you know, North Korea to Afghanistan to... There's tourism in North Korea? Yeah, 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 there is. There's about 12 tourism providers or travel travel agents. Wow, that's new to me. specialize in propaganda of what we call red tourism. And they're very much holidays where... You go to see that there are set itinerary. You don't have any choice what you can do. It's like camp. To North Korea. It's all, yeah, <laughs> it's all about currency okay. to North Korea. Okay. And the only way to get in is via China, et cetera, et cetera. So, but that, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a very niche, it's a very niche market. I, I think I was trying to make the point, tourism is the world's global industry. 1950, 25 million people went on holiday. 2019, prior to COVID, 1.3 billion people went on holiday. So you've seen, you saw exponential growth, and that will continue. The numbers will be back around 2020, 2023, 2024, uh, in, in the terms of the rise in But that's a representation of globalization. You've got to think about somebody, it's all about the, the cost of production or the unit cost of something. So if I'm, no, if I'm Norwegian, which is a very expensive country, or if I'm from Israel. You know, my expectations are, where do I want to go on holiday? So I'm going to go to Thailand. I'm going to go to Vietnam. Your purchasing power is huge if you go to those developing economies. You can buy the average person in Israel or Norway, the average middle classes can buy a very luxury holiday in these developing economies, you know, five-star hotels, which seems very reasonable, whereas you haven't got that purchasing power to buy the same holiday in Oslo or in Tel Aviv mm-hmm. because you're a, West, a Western economy which has more regulation and the cost of production as a consequence of, of regulation and a whole range of other things is a, is a lot higher. So today's tourist is global. And there's a mindset, if I'm getting this five-star holiday experience in Vietnam, and when I'm going out for dinner, they're not comparable, but they are comparable psychologically. There's a psychological perspective about value for money and what this means in in the terms of expectations. And the other thing that's changed is... You know, when I worked for Visit Scotland, we had a quality assurance scheme, which was all hotel inspectors, attractions inspectors. They would go to the, they would go to that hotel, a restaurant, and they would, they would rate it one star, two star, three star, four star, five. That's all gone now, because the, the big change has been TripAdvisor, consumer generated content, 
where it's the consumer that's giving the rating or the experience, which is a lot more judgmental. But that's what influences our choice in the terms of what they are. A five-star hotel on Expedia is based upon a consumer review. It's not based on physical amenities. It's, it's, it's how the consumer it's how the consumer reviews. So we're living in a system or a world that's a lot more networked. We're living in a world where it's a, a lot more explicit. And, and today's hotel and tomorrow's hotel just can't hide anywhere now. If a consumer's had a bad experience, the world will know about it. But, you know, but that was TripAdvisor, cranky TripAdvisor 20 years ago, I think. We're trying to now maybe sail a little bit into the future. We did that before with Singularity, but I want to take it to a more, yeah. again, more a closer space, like five to 10 years, maybe a little bit more. And, and if we imagine trips and the involvement of technology, we talked about the VR set and not even need, needing to be there, but do you yeah. see much more, you know, if, if I would say in the past, I would go to Disneyland, right? And I would expect the ride of whatever ride there was. Do you expect that there will be a much, like, let's call it convergence of technical gadgets, connected technical gadgets that will actually accompany my experience? So let's say I'm going to Rome. You don't say many people actually roaming Rome with VR sets of, you know, augmented reality, yeah. telling them what the wall is about and what happened here. In the, maybe looking at the Colosseum and seeing... Uh, gladiators fighting because you know the city of Rome prepared this kind of show for me that yeah. I'm now experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that investment going into what used to be maybe in gaming now being overlaid over cities and destinations? So actually, technology enhances my experience, and I actually see what this place was about or could be using technology. Do you see that? Is that already happening? Do you see that? Well, happening? Yeah, it, it, a lot of this is already happening now. So. You, you can take the same place and give it a different interpretation in a different story. For example, I lived in Edinburgh for what, 20, 20 years now. And if you look at some of the concepts, the augmented reality, mixed reality tours to of Edinburgh, you can do, the, in the same street, you can do the ghost tour, the food tour, the, the whiskey tour. So all of those basic stories through virtual reality are happening now. I think the big change that's coming from virtual reality and, and argumental reality in the terms of integration, I think they've just become a lot more personalized. I think when we're using the, he the headsets that they, in the future, they will be less intrusive and there'll be a connection between how you're feeling and how the story unfolds. So if you're on a murder mystery tour and the, the story at the end might be very different. You know, he's starting to get very worried. He's starting mm -hmm. to get a bit anxious. So the, the hero doesn't die. But are you getting excited by the story? The, the hero then does die. And different people on your tour can have different endings and different interactions. So I think emotions, because basically it, it are mixed reality headsets are about cap capturing they're basically a brain-computer interface. They're capturing your thoughts, your neurons, about what you're thinking and how you're feeling, and they will then be transposed into that type of experience that you've got. So that, that's what will happen from the guided tour perspective. That's a really cool 
evolution of what will for sure be reality. I think that uh, most likely, as you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, I don't know if it's a known term, it's like gamification of tourism. Meaning, yeah, yeah. And I think that what you described at the end is most likely not the tourism reality, but reality in general and tourism being the consequence in tourism will be that everybody, wherever I go, will know my name. But that could also happen just on the day-to-day basis because yes. everybody's got these yes. headsets. And so I think that's a great way to uh, to wrap up our, our, our episode. Okay. It's been fascinating talking to you. It's my pleasure. I think singularity and tourism and, and life in general is heading towards a really, really exciting future. Although I think some things we still need to figure out. So thank you for your time and uh, hopefully see you, you in person someday. So just one final thing to you. Could you what is goodbye? What is goodbye? Or I'll meet you again in Hebrew. Well, in Hebrew, there's a word that's hi and goodbye, which is very universally known, which is shalom. So, and it's shalom. also peace. Okay. Shalom. So, shalom peace. Gil and yeah. shalom yeah. Ian. And I haven't been to Israel yet. I need to get there. Yeah, and I haven't been to New Zealand and I need to get there too. At first glance, it may seem like travel and tourism have been permanently impacted by the pandemic. But Ian suggests the opposite. People have never been more eager to travel, and the sector is about to see a massive boom. However, that doesn't mean that the industry will look the same as it did in 2019. Ian noted that people's fundamental values have shifted as a result of COVID. Instead of valuing status or celebrity, people have begun prioritizing ethics, family, and the conservation of nature due to the crisis. Changes which will ultimately trickle down into tourism. Like other areas, the travel and tourism industry will be forced to adapt and shift its priorities. This will ultimately lead to better solutions for climate change, automation, and providing a higher quality experience to consumers above all. Ian, thank you for taking the time to share your point of view. Thanks for listening to Point of View, a podcast by Amdocs. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you next time.